Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you were blessed by today's sermon. Good evening, everyone. <laughs> so tonight I'm going to be talking about divorce and um, the softening of hearts. And so um, our last sermon, I went over the transfiguration. So as I said earlier, Jesus is halfway through his ministry um, at this point in Mark's gospel, and he is on his way to Jerusalem. And the Pharisees are doing everything they can to corner him and to trick him and to test him and to get him to lose his credibility and to put him in a position where uh, people cannot trust him or will no longer follow him. So they are doing everything in their power to basically get rid of Jesus. And eventually that will end with his death on the cross, as we all know. So at this point, um, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he is uh, asked by the Pharisees, and they come up to him. And uh, he is on his way, as I said, verse 1, it says, And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. So that's verse 1. Um, I'm on page 845 in your, your pew Bibles, if you want to follow along. 845. And so, this first verse here shows that he was teaching, that people were gathering around him. Uh, so my first point is, when the crowds gather, Jesus' first priority is always to teach them. If you can put that up there, Busavan, I don't know if... There you go. Freezing up on you. Um, there you go. Teach them. <laughs> when the crowds gather, Jesus' first priority is always to teach them. And so Jesus, although he does his miracles, his first priority whenever there's a crowd around isn't to entertain them with miracles, but is teach them. The people often gather to see his miracles, and uh, Jesus knows uh, what they truly need is his authoritative teaching. There's a lot of people teaching tradition, the tradition of the elders, a lot of people teaching what they think the scriptures mean. Uh, but Jesus realizes he's only here for a brief time. His ministry lasts three years, and during that time, he has to show them um, what to believe. He has to show them what the gospel is. And so his first ministry is always to use this precious time, this precious three years, to invest first in Peter, James, and John, his inner group of disciples, his 12 disciples, and all the other people that are following him. So his, his first priority is always to teach. The second point, the Pharisees come to test Jesus, but he exposes the hardness of their hearts. Jesus, uh, the Pharisees come to test Jesus, but he exposes the hardness of their hearts. That's verses 2 through 5. And, Fer- and the Pharisees came up and, in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you. They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of the hardness of your hearts, he wrote you this commandment. And so just to stop here, um, this is not the easiest passage to preach on. I'll just start by saying that. Um, Divorce was obviously a touchy issue in this period of time. That's why the, that's why the Pharisees went up to ask, uh, ask Jesus this question. They knew it was a touchy issue, and they knew that it would spark people's emotions and feelings. And so that's why they're cornering him with this question. Pastors today have to deal with this question all the time, too. Is it, is it appropriate for me to divorce my wife or for a wife to divorce her husband? And so, um, but what Jesus does is he says in verse 
um, five, and Jesus said, because of the hardness of your hearts, he wrote you this commandment. So instead of um, focusing on the commandment it's, it's him, uh, itself, like focusing on divorce, he brings it back to what? Our fallen conditions, the sinfulness of our heart, the brokenness of our, our hearts. And because of the hardness of our hearts, there's this concession that you can get a divorce because of the hardness of your heart. But, not, but that's not God's plan from the beginning, as we see in the next verses. Jesus shows that divorce is not God's design for marriage, but happens because of our hard hearts. And divorce often takes place because of marital unhappiness, financial disagreement, disagreement regarding the raising of children, abuse, neglect, and adultery. So there's lots of reasons why people get divorced today. Those are just naming some of them. Um, There's many others. Uh, But all of these things come back to a hardness of heart. Either one spouse or the other spouse has decided there is no hope for this relationship and we have to cut ties. And so it's, it's not a matter of um, God's design. It's not as if God said, here's your prenup, Adam and Eve. <laughs> when, when, I, when I bring you together as one flesh, here's the prenuptial agreement. These are the things that you get to keep if you get a divorce. Here are the things that she gets to keep if you get a divorce. And there's no, there's no plan for divorce when God brought Adam and Eve together, right? Because there was no fallen creation yet. There was no hardness of heart yet. Adam and Eve lived in perfect unity that none of us can even imagine because of the world today. Like if I look at Aaron and I talk to Aaron about marriage, you know, it's hard for me to imagine the kind of intimacy that Adam and Eve would have had because there's always going to be things that cause, you know, uh, disagreements or problems in, in our marriage, just like anybody's marriage. But Adam and Eve didn't have those things, and I don't know how. I, don't even, I can't even fathom how a marriage can exist without disagreement. But that's for some, some way, that's how it was in the very beginning. And uh, Jesus goes on to say that God made them one flesh. So I'm going to teach on three things that Jesus taught on. Um, Jesus teaches authoritative, authoritatively on three things. The first thing is God created them male and female. So God created them male and female. So the first thing Jesus does is he says that. So let me, let me continue to read verse 6. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. In our society today, you can be just about any gender you want to be. And you don't have to stay that gender either. You can choose to be a different gender um, sometime in the future. Uh, so in our world today, it's hard to say these words. It's hard to say these words to a society that doesn't believe them. In a society where we determine right and wrong, we determine male and female, we determine all those things. And so it's hard to even argue for a, a God who can teach authoritatively in a world that doesn't believe in authority and doesn't believe in absolute truth. And so in this situation, Jesus says male and female. He says God created a man and a woman perfectly for each other. How did he create the woman? He literally took the woman from the side of the man. He created her perfectly to be with him side by side, to spend eternity with, her, with each other, to support each other, to love each other, to encourage each other, right? Uh, perfectly made for one another. Verse 7, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. So this means the man will grow up and get out of the house, and he will go on and find the, the perfect partner for himself. Does that mean that everybody's created, that God creates a man and a woman, and they'll be perfectly 
uh, married and, and you know perfect for each other. Uh, I don't think that we necessarily have soulmates the way some people in our society today think. Uh, that's not necessarily what you see in creation uh, or in scripture. Soulmates is not a term that's used in scripture. I mean, although you do see um, in Greek philosophy some of these terms, and so a lot of this uh, philosophy is born out of um, Greek and, and things like that. It's not biblical. Soulmates is not a biblical thing. Um, you never really see in the Psalms where it says, you knit me perfectly for my soulmate. <laughs> it's not a biblical concept. But the idea that we become one flesh is a biblical concept, and the idea that we will hold fast to our wives is a biblical concept. So therefore a man will leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. So basically, you're going to be in community with your wife, in your family, forever and ever. And you're going to be uh, one flesh with that person for the rest of your life. And verse 8 says, And the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So marriage is a sacrament where God joins together husband and wife and makes them one flesh. And that's our second point. I think our points went one too far. Can we go back to point two? Yes. Marriage is a sacrament where God joins together husband and wife and makes them one flesh. The reason why we use sacrament, uh, the Greek term is actually a mystery. And Paul actually kind of talk, talks of that terminology. A man and a woman come to be, together and become one flesh, and this is a mystery. Paul talks about how God is making us one flesh. And so this is important to see that it's not us coming together. It's not a co contract where we're signing some paperwork and somehow that makes us married. Although, if you ask a lot of people today, they will go to the courthouse and they will sign a piece of paper and they will be, quote, you know, married. And that, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that you come together and you are married. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, what that means in the next points. Marriage is a covenant bond that God creates between a husband and a wife that no one has authority to separate. And this is important today as well. No man has, has the authority to come into my house and sleep in my bed with my wife. I mean, that's just plain and simple, right? No one has authority to come in and say, Stephen Aaron, you are no longer married. Now, in a legal proceeding, we might have paperwork to show that we're no longer married. But there's no way that we can be um, in this marriage and have somebody come in and say, you are no longer married. The only way that a person can have this marriage uh, ended and to be separated is if we, the person dies or is if the couple agrees that you know, we're no longer married and, um, you know, and we're going to get into that in a minute. But there's nobody in this world that can come in and separate a marriage. That's also in Hebrews, it says, keep the marriage bed undefiled. It's the idea that we are supposed to be completely united with each other, and anything that can cause division in our marriage, we should be fighting against. And that's a, another thing, too, is the man protects the wife, and the wife protects the man. That's why in Genesis, you see the fall in chapter 3. What was happening there was the man and the woman uh, were not protecting each other. The, woman, the, the man wasn't protecting the woman by telling her no, and the woman wasn't protecting the man by telling the snake no, or the serpent, rather. And so 
we see from the beginning that you have to protect your marriage. And so the fourth point, when, when asked about divorce, Jesus uh, doubles down on his teaching rather than softening it. So that's verses 10 through 12. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. In Matthew 5.32, Jesus includes adultery as grounds for divorce. We might also include on, uh, sec- no sexual consummation of the marriage, making it uh, null. So sometimes you hear about marriages being nullified, right? Well, being, having a marriage made null, you know, if, if you never consummated the marriage, right? So if you came before um, the church or, and you had the marriage you know, on paperwork and everything, we actually never went and slept in the same bed and spent the night together. Um, there was literally, um, you know, in medieval Europe, the kings and queens would come together and have these contracts, but they actually, a lot of them would actually never sleep together. And in that case, they could go to the church and say, no, we actually, it, it wasn't a real marriage. So one of the things that actually makes a marriage a marriage is consummation. It's uh, sexual. It's coming together as one flesh. And so... When you um, don't become married that way, you can actually have a nullified marriage. It's not a real marriage. Um, it, it's, it was a contract that you guys signed, and uh, especially if it was done for political reasons or some other reason, it's not a real marriage. And if you were coerced into the marriage, that's why even when people get married today, the, the priest will ask them if uh, you were coerced or are you being like pushed into doing this. <laughs> um, that's, an, that's a way that we can keep from having a null marriage. There are times when abuse, neglect, or abandonment take place. In these situations, divorce may be necessary, but this only confirms what Jesus says about divorce. It is because of the hardness of our hearts. Sadly, divorce has become all too common in our world today. So I'm, I mean, I grew up in a divorced household, and so I remember traveling back and forth from my dad's house in Nebraska every summer. Um, and so it's a very straining thing. It's a very hard thing on a child to grow up in a divorced household. It's not God's design for him to have multiple dads or, you know, a stepdad and biological dads and everything else. Um, and so it's hard for kids to grow up like that because that's not God's design. But this is sadly the world we live in. I, I think it's like 40% of kids now are growing up in, in households without like a stable uh, home where there is basically one parent, one parent households. It's it's like almost fifty percent of kids are growing up in this situation, or at least with stepdads and, and situations like that. And so a lot of kids don't know what it's actually like to grow up with a biological mom and a biological dad. Um, and so another issue too is neglect. If someone is um, you know a, a, a husband leaves or a mom leaves, whatever situation, um, and neglects the family, uh, a divorce might be necessary in that situation. Because if you can't, <laughs> if, if that person's not around to, to fulfill the promises they made in this covenant marriage, then you might have to be separated. You might have to um, uh, go through with that. Uh, you know, abuse is another thing. You can never counsel somebody to stay in a marriage if it's dangerous, if the kids are in danger and this, uh, the wife or the husband, even sometimes the husband, is in danger. I mean, if there's a situation where you can't be in a safe marriage in that situation, sometimes counseling them uh, to separate is, is the only option. Uh, 
But all these things come back again to what Jesus said. It's all hardness of heart. If, if the spouse leaves, if the spouse is abusive, if, if the spouse is not willing to lay down the things that are causing this division in their marriage, those are grounds for divorce. Because when you get married, you're making a promise to love and cherish each other till, until you, death do you part. And so you have to fulfill those promises. You have to stay in that marriage and do what it takes to, as Paul talks about Ephesians chapter 5, to die for one another, to lay down your life um, in service to each other. So the bottom line um, is divorce is a result of the hardness of hearts. And a relationship built on Jesus Christ should create soft hearts that will always make our marriage uh, our marriages our second priority. Our marriages should always be our second priority. I mean, our first priority is our relationship with God and following God's commands, obeying Him. And as we worship Him, we don't fall into the trap of worshiping our spouse, which can sometimes happen. Your spouse becomes your object of all of your affection and adoration. And so you just love your spouse um, as you would love God. And that's not what God created our hearts for. Uh, the other thing, sometimes parents will fall into the trap of loving their, um, making their kids their second priority. If you really love your kids, you're going to love your spouse more. You're going to love her or him and give all of your energy into that relationship to make it as ba- strong as you can so you have a strong, a strong system, family system is what we ca- call it in social work studies, right, to support those kids. And so you have to create a structure with your mar- within your marriage where your husband or wife can trust you because you um, you love God first and you're gonna you're gonna submit to God you're gonna follow God you realize you're not the head of your your marriage God is and in that structure then you also love your wife so your kids feel safe and so they see that you um, love your wife you're not going anywhere you're not leaving them you're not gonna neglect them you're not gonna hurt them or you're gonna do everything you can. Uh, to love your spouse. And so, this all goes back to what I said in the beginning with Adam and Eve. You become one flesh, and you love each other, and you soften your hearts in order to love each other. And so, I think about Aaron, and I think about when we first got married, and um, we got married on a beach, and it was uh, a lot of fun getting married on the beach. We, we had a uh, a dog run into the middle of the wedding, I guess, and we were so caught up in that moment with the dog running, with, with the marriage, that we didn't even notice the dog running into the middle of the ceremony. <laughs> and, um, and it was really uh, amazing how fast the time went by when you're that caught up in that moment. And just the whole, the whole entire thing of becoming married, to become one flesh, is, you know, second to falling in love with Jesus and becoming, you know, part of his body, it's the most amazing thing that uh, God can give to us. That's why, you know, singleness isn't necessarily a curse because the most important, most amazing thing that can happen in our life is becoming one in body with Christ, right? So even if you're a single person, you never get married in your entire life, you know, the, the, the process of repentance and being filled with the Holy Spirit and going through baptism and becoming part of the church really should and, and is the most amazing thing that we will do in our lives. The second thing um, for married people is going to be the amazing opportunity to become husband and wife. So my prayer for us, and, and let's bow our heads and pray. Um, Lord, 
I pray that you would watch over us uh, in our marriages and in our our relationships um, with other people, whether we are married or single. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have soft hearts and to put others first and to make everyone, um, make our spouse our second priority, um, to make uh, you our first priority and to make our children our third priority and everyone else our fourth priority. Lord, that we would be covered in your spirit and your love, that we would be um, strengthened by uh, your Holy Spirit and protected and surrounded by your angels. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.